Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. Lock the gate! All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck Ricans? What the fuck Tuckians? What the fuckinoids? I don't know where that one came from. What's happening? I'm Mark. This is my show. Welcome to the show. It's WTF. It's a podcast. I will welcome new people as I see fit here at the beginning of the show. I hope you're doing all right. Today on the show, I'm going to chat with... Uh, Going to have a slightly contentious but fun ball-busting chat with my old buddy Godfrey. Godfrey has a, a Showtime special that is now available on demand at Showtime. His, uh, his special, it's called Regular Black. Uh, it's on Showtime, but you can watch it, uh, of course, anytime uh, on Showtime on demand. Later in the show, Werner Herzog, the film director, documentary director, writer, uh, actor, but uh, a, a force of nature will be on the show for a bit. And we're going to talk about his new film, his new documentary, which was I found to be uh, uh, frightening, but also very life embracing. But I tend to lean towards the frightening. Uh, his it's called Lo and Behold: Reveries of the Connected World. It's in theaters and on demand this Friday, August nineteenth. Uh, it was great to talk to him. Uh, it was uh, I was nervous because he is a uh, a very specific and defined presence and uh, an astoundingly uh, prolific artist. And I enjoyed having him here in the garage and hopefully you will enjoy our conversation. Also, tickets going fast. And I'm happy to say that because I was, um, I'm always nervous about how things will go. But the Carnegie Hall pre-sale went very well. And now tickets are on sale in a larger way. I don't know what that means. Uh, more outlets, uh, more promotion. So uh, congratulations to those who got tickets for my November 4th show at Carnegie Hall in New York City during the pre-sale because uh, a lot of those seats went very quickly. And now they're open to the general public in a broader way. They're on sale full on. So you can go to nycomedyfestival.com, nycomedyfestival.com, find my little mug, my little face, click on it, and get tickets to my November 4th Carnegie Hall show. I'm very excited about it. My buddy Nate Bargetzi is going to do uh, the opening slot. I'm, I'm thrilled, but there's part of me that thinks um, maybe that should be it. Maybe that should be the last thing. Carnegie Hall, and then like, I'm good. I'm going to live on an island off the coast of Seattle now in a small house 
with several cats who are unafraid of coyotes. But I don't know. There are wolves up there. Anyway, Carnegie Hall, tickets on sale. NYComedyFestival.com. So a couple of things. I'm reading this book, and uh, I don't lock into books that often in a way that I'm like, holy shit, this is the best book I've read in a long time. It's a nonfiction book. It'd been sitting around in a pile of books I had for a long time. I get a lot of shit, folks. People send me a lot of stuff. Publishers send me stuff. So I get a radio station almost. I just get tons of stuff. I had to get an office to process stuff. And a lot of stuff moves through. A lot of stuff moves on. Some books I uh, donate to the library. Some records I use to barter for other records. But this book, it just sat there. And I'm like, that book is something. There's something in that book. I didn't know what was in it, but I held on to it. It's called Dreamland, The True Tale of America's Opiate Epidemic by a guy named Sam Quinones. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. I'm pronouncing it like that. Q-U-I-N-O-N-E-S. Quinones, I'm going to say. I don't know how he pronounces it. I apologize if that's wrong, Sam. But I'm going to try to talk to Sam. But this is, um, this book is, did you read Fast Food Nation? Fast Food Nation about the fast food industry was an astoundingly compelling journalistic endeavor that changed my life, changed the way I thought about a lot of things. This book, Dreamland, it does the same thing except for black tar heroin and oxycodone. It, it, is, it moves through several different um, trajectories and storylines to sort of give you a historical perspective of the painkiller epidemic that in turn led to the black tar heroin epidemic all the way down to geographical locations, economic um, realities, uh, pharmaceutical uh, uh, posturing, misinformation. But it really goes all the way back and all the way through the, uh, the pain management racket that my father was uh, involved with for a time and, you know, and into the Mexican heroin, uh, black tar heroin racket, which uh, had a very unique and distinct business structure that was essentially nonviolent. This is what's amazing about this book in a lot of ways, aside from everything uh, historically and journalistically, is that this is a story of a massive national drug industry Black, you know, black tar heroin, a, a illegal drug industry that has very little violence. And that should be compelling. It is. It's a great book. Hopefully I'm going to find Sam and talk to him. I believe he lives down the street. But it's blowing my mind. Pick it up. Dreamland by Sam Quinones, I hope. I hope. Uh, good job, Sam, if you're listening. You know, I... You know, I, I have bluster, I have bravado, I have a certain amount of cockiness. I, I do, I do, I, but I am not a uh, fist fighter, I am not a puncher, I am not a punchy. Uh, it's surprising that I have not been a punchy. I, I would think that my, my, myself seems, a, you know, a, a guy that would, you know, would get his ass kicked a couple of times. So my girlfriend, Sarah, the painter, lives uh, not far from me, and she was having some problems with a neighbor. Uh, who rented the the house next to hers from a, a woman who owns the house. And it was a couple, a young couple, who had a couple of dogs. And these dogs started shitting down in the yard. And now the way my girlfriend's house is set up, that the, the backyard of that house next to hers is right in, basically in front 
of where her kitchen is. So these dogs are just shitting and shitting and shitting. And this guy who uh, is renting the house is not cleaning up the shit. So there's this waft of horrendous shit smell, dog shit smell coming into her fucking house every goddamn day and building. So there starts the tension. Like, why don't you clean up after your fucking dogs? He's, and he says he will and he doesn't. And then it's just, it's just grown up shit, dude. Now I'm talking to him. It's like, clean up the dog shit. And then there was an issue of this guy parking his car in front of Sarah's driveway because he can't find other spaces on the street and he feels like he deserves to park in front of uh, the house he's renting. I don't know where he comes from or what his situation is. And he's always in there, you know, you know, shouting about this and that it is, you know, to his girlfriend. And it's just one of those escalating neighbor situations. Where it's like, if you don't find a parking space in, in front of your house, welcome to the big city, fella. Take a loop. Loop around, find another place. Grow the fuck up, clean up after your pig dogs. That's the backstory. And I'm hearing about it. You know, so I, I've offered, I said, look, let's go over there and, you know, just talk to him. Try to, you know, reason with this dude about growing the fuck up and learning that, you know, sometimes you don't get the parking space you want. And if you have two big fucking dogs, you got to clean up their dog shit. That. So I get a call yesterday from Sarah and she's like, come over. Can you come over now, please? Can you just come over? It's I need you. And then she hung up like and I could hear him yammering and I didn't know. So like I I'm, I'm worked up. But I'm not, you know, I'm not thinking I'm going to kick this guy's ass, but I'm a little worked up and I drive over. It's five minutes away and I drive and I see him. He's standing out there in his shorts with no shirt on, a little guy with his little sideways haircut and, a, you know, half a beard, you know, no shirt and his sandals. And he's, you know, Sarah's standing there and I just fucking pull up and I do that thing where you just slam on the brakes in the middle of the street, pop open the door, step out and I go, what is the problem? What's the problem here? And this guy immediately starts backpedaling. There's no problem. And I'm like, do we need to call the cops? Do the cops need to be involved in this problem? And she's like, I just, he's parked in the, in the driveway. He's like, I was, I was going to move it. I was going to move it. And I wasn't going to leave it here. And I like just came unraveled and I wasn't going to fucking hit the guy. I was like, I right away said, we can call the cops and work this out. And I'm like, just what is the issue? And he's like, well, I'm sorry. And I just said, I was going to move it. And like, and then it gets to the point where I, I think he's going to cry. And I'm like, oh my God. And like, I'm not, there never once in my mind did I think I was going to hit him or have a physical altercation. I just wanted him to understand that he can't behave the way he's behaving. And he just started spinning and it looked like he was getting gonna, gonna getting choked up. And then I was sort of like, all right, all right, just relax. Will you just take it easy? All right. And, you know, when I got in the car and I found him a parking space and drove off and I was like, what the fuck? Like, like I, you know, I, not only did I not have any violent intentions, but like I didn't want to have to deal with the guy sobbing. So apparently like they started, he started screaming after I left in the house. Like there, there are unenlightened people who solves the problem with fighting. They're animals. Because Sarah thought like, well, when he sees who you are. He's going to he's going to feel pretty embarrassed. But not only did that guy not know who I was, which is an unusual, he thought we were unenlightened animals who only knew how to solve things with fighting. Like, How could you mistake me for a tough guy driving up in my Camry hybrid, getting out of my car, wearing my Iggy and the Stooges T-shirt, you know, in my glasses? The animals, unenlightened animals. That's me. That's me, just a just a, a a monster, a Neanderthal in a Camry hybrid with my red wing boots on. That animal, complete fucking, comp- just a, a low life monster.
I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted Sarah and I to to put both of our books on his front uh, porch as a gift from the unenlightened, but you know we decided against it. I just you know I just hope the guy grows up a little bit. That was my only intention. So now we come to Godfrey. Godfrey and I go way back. I enjoy him. Where it's always funny. I he's one of these people that uh, I like to bust his balls. He receives it well and he needs it. He needs it badly. So this is me and Godfrey doing what me and Godfrey do. You can watch his new special, Regular Black, on Showtime. Uh, it's airing here and there, but you can watch it anytime on Showtime On Demand. So let's let's do uh, let's do what me and Godfrey. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. Do. You want to get on the fucking mic like a professional? Or you just want to stand there like an idiot? <laughs> How do you want to handle it? <laughs> First of all, when you set up the Obama shit and yeah. it was on in your list, it's right after mine. Yeah, I was getting mad heat. I- fucking heat that's right in the streets people are like i heard you on marin one of the best interviews i've ever fucking heard i'm not even like no that's right you were right before obama yeah because uh, i, I said you need some more black people on this bitch yeah and i couldn't tell you i probably couldn't tell you we were oh but no was, no no you, no, no but right i said before. but i right. said i said but why does it have to be the super 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 famous ones get the Medium ones. Yeah. Medium black. I'm medium, medium, <laughs> medium black, medium yeah. famous. That's me. Kind of yeah. medium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, if all I need is that one thing that'll that'll take <laughs> me to fun. the next level. That's funny. I forgot like you because we were <laughs> And I brought it up. It, and, and then your episode, that's what it was. Your episode got so much fucking hits because they everyone who never even heard of the podcast before, they listen, listen to Obama and they're like, what's another one? What's this one before Obama? So yeah. it, it all tracked. Like your episode you see was what, huge. You see what because that, of Obama. It, thank, it, thank Obama. Thank Obama. Fuck that. <laughs> it's all right. I can do him. I can. Uh, I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, that's pretty uh, this good. This is nice. I'm glad. <laughs> uh, I heard that you need more black people. And uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. That's not, even you like it. Yeah, it's you good. know how I would never do an impersonation in front of you. Why? Because you just make that face. No, I do You just go like this. You go like this. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's, a, that's, ah, a, that's me, good. Me being polite. <laughs> not, yeah. I'm not going to laugh at it, but I'll acknowledge you've done something in front of me. Oh, good for you. Good for- <laughs> How's that working out for you? <laughs> 
that's so fucked up. That's, that's like walking to an audition room and there's a dude on a series already, and yeah. he actually uh, and he actually like comes in for that too. Yeah, and he goes, "Hey, good luck, guys. Yeah. Fuck you." Yeah, as he's walking out, yeah, everyone's you. laughing and patting him on yeah. the back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, who's They're next? Going, yeah. yeah, oh fuck you. It's the worst. Or when it's the one black part. And all every black dude's in there. They go, "Yo, fellas, keep it up, man. The fuck out of here. I don't want you here. <laughs> the one I want black to be, guy. I the want black guy on television. The, the, black, the one black guy. <laughs> <laughs> you guys all know him. Ah, oh, fuck. Ah, oh, I'm the only one in a in an audition. Yeah, that I don't fake the funk, man. Yeah, and when a when a certain guy walks in, I go, ah, oh, come on. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> because he's what fake. Yeah, I don't know. You got two shows already. Why are you here? Right. Everyone else goes, oh, what's up, dude? Oh, what's up? What's good, baby? Oh, yeah. How you been? I'm like this. Everything no. sucks right now. Yeah, yeah. Nothing's fucking good. And you, why are you, you here? Why are you taking all the work? Why are you taking all the goddamn work? <laughs> yeah. You know what? Black actors can actually say, why are you taking all the work? Because it's yeah. not a lot. Yeah. I can right. actually say. Right. White dudes can't say that shit. Yeah. How about spreading it around? Spread it. Spread it. Take a break. Hey, man. How about I got, hit I got the this bench, whole, buddy? I, I got this whole thing. <laughs> Steve Harvey hosts everything. Yeah. I mean- he really, he really does. He hosts everything. I know it's weird though. Like you watch him, and like you know, it's not like you, you're not going like, "Hey, yeah, there's Steve Harvey." You know, he's he's just sort of this thing that's it's like it's it's like the TV being on. There's Steve <laughs> there's Harvey's Steve, involved. Right, right, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I saw him. I don't even know what the show was, but he, he, just he was sitting there talking to a kid. I'm like, "What fucking show right. is this?" It's called Big Shots. Yeah. Hot little big shot. When I was, I actually watched it for a minute. Though, it's and like I watched the Art Link letter shit. Uh, but I watched it without sound. It must have been on a plane or something. Mm. And I was watching him listen to kids. He was listening to them because I'm. I talk to people, right. and I'm like, it'd be very easy. Like, oh god, you know, it's not an easy thing no. to sit there and act interested in a fucking kid. It's <laughs> <No. laughs> true, little fuckers. Yeah. But he was like listening, and he, he was, was like, you know, the kid felt comfortable. It's not right. easy to make kids right. in front of all those people feel comfortable. That's true. And and he was really picking his spots, and I was watching it all without sound. This kid must have been a some sort of a little Asian kid, a piano wizard. That's so redundant to me. It's redundant. Little but there's... Asian kids that can play piano. Fuck that. Like if you see, uh, they should have a black little kid doing math. Have an Asian kid tap dance it, then I'm impressed. Don't fucking don't uh, challenge the Asian, Asian kids. To but do Asian kids get... doing concertos—that's old. They were doing that shit in the '80s. Yeah, but there's only a few of them in there. How no. many are there? What? There's a billion. Uh, no, I know oh. of, of them that can play piano can like play that. Piano. Okay, out of the billion, at least at least a hundred million. A <laughs> hundred million of like fucking asshole parents immediately that make... on birth. On bur- Dude, they have them playing concertos, but an Asian kid playing concerto is boring. A black kid playing concerto, more interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because they don't think we know what concertos are. But how many black guys even really tap dance anymore? Just that one guy? Well, at auditions, we're still doing it. <laughs> oh, you mean metaphorically? <laughs> metaphorically. We've never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> right. At yeah. auditions. Oh, I'm like, da, 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 da. oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm still doing that shit. So what are you doing out here? Okay. I had a gap. I had a gap. And I said to my girl, I said, yo, I think I should go to LA and I Airbnb'd for the first time. Really? I never did that before. Where did, where'd they put you? Uh, well, Airbnb. You choose it, yeah. I, I, I'm on Beverly yeah. by El Coyote. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's And it's this painter dude. Yeah. He, and it's this little room. It has yeah. a, it's a bathtub, shower, whatever, whatever. I have my cable, whatever. It's yeah. A, and I have this old school 1920s bed. Yeah. It's like one single bed. Then you can pop up another bed. It's yeah. like old school shit. Oh, the trundle bed. The trundle bed. Yeah. Yeah. So 
um, it's it's cool. It's clean. I paid like for like ten days, seven hundred something dollars. Wow, awesome. Yeah, you know what I mean. I yeah. have a refrigerator. I don't now, have a stove, but now, now you're in though. You're gonna be Airbnb and all the fucking I'm time. I'm Airbnb in my fucking ass off, and it's not. He doesn't live there. He lives next door. But that's he has he has a lot of artist friends. So many people do that. They just have they buy houses to do that, dude. They, they it, like, it's the shit because these hotels try to fuck you, man. Like how much for a day? Get the fuck. Yeah, come on. You see, that's when you let. Let's let you know that I haven't made it. Made it yet? I'm fucking Airbnb and shit. You didn't have to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I come here. (laughs) That's why I come here. I come here to get fucked up. (laughs) I I didn't have to tell you. You like? I can just look at you and see. Oh, word out in the street. There is no word out on the street. I can tell by the emails. Dude. <laughs> I did say that. I said, dude, thanks a lot with exclamation point. <laughs> but no, like, yeah. can, uh, can I come back on? Yeah. I, be out there. I don't Yeah. I have no problem begging. I don't give a shit. But wait, so, uh, what? What, 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 so you're just hanging out? No, I have a bunch of meetings. Yeah. A bunch of meetings. I'm, of course, I'm doing a laugh factory and- you know the improv and the comedy store, but I I wanted to come out because I needed to face to face with everybody. Meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Face to face with my agents, blah 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 blah. And I said I need to call Marin, and I want to come back to this. I didn't know you didn't do repeats. Well, we do the short ones, which is fine. I didn't know though. But there's only certain guys that I get you know that I have a thing where we can talk. Yeah, me and you are good. We're am funny. I, am yeah. I good? Oh yeah. No, people am love I, when we talk. You act like I asked you to be in a comedy team. What the fuck? <laughs> I feel like hey, you guys, you and Godfrey are good together. Like, don't. I'm so glad I'm doing okay. Because that'd be someone's shitty idea. You guys ever think of no, oh, no, not <laughs> hell, fucking no. <laughs> How would that be? Just two guys laughing at each other, hurting each other's feelings. <laughs> That's, that's what the, I like about you. You're such a loner. You don't even hang out with your own people. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, well, people are like, you don't have any black friends. Like, I don't have any friends. You, three. <laughs> like, I got, I got you one know, dude I you call. Know, you know, you're the only person that can say, I don't see color. Yeah. Because they're not over <laughs> here. Never, no one's there. White, black. No <laughs> one's Mark at the house. said, I don't see color. He's not bullshitting you. <laughs> he does <laughs> <laughs> Yo, but I'm saying this, Mark. Yes. I don't give a shit. I'm putting my bid in. That's how you... I see all these dudes yeah. going on other people's podcasts because they got a dude that accepts them. You're the, you're the dude. You actually let me come over. You hang out. You talk. You like let me on your shit. Yeah. And everyone gets that. Yeah. I don't get that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm willing to give you a break. I'm giving you a big if break. If it has to come from this, so fucking be it. <laughs> if I have to fly out to LA just to do your shit, I would do that shit. I will Airbnb. For two days to do Marin. I don't fuck around. If it's like once a month, whatever the fuck, I'm putting my dib in as your Nubian friend. I've changed the name. I'm not black anymore, dog. No, it's Nubian? Fuck black. Why, Let me what, tell you why. What's Can, the Kachina doll again? Kachina's Cocapelli? Cocapelli and Nubian. Coca-pe- but listen. Nubian Coca- Cocapelli. I want to tell you why I want to be, be Nubian now. Okay, what? All right. I'm your Nubian friend. Let me tell you why. Yeah. But that it, sounds like it's sort of like. It's, 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 it's almost space age. Yeah, it is. Why not? I, We're in a high-tech fucking era now. Is this the new hook? The new, listen, this right. is real. Right. Like, you know how they put the bids up? It went it, First, it was colored, Negro, yeah. colored, yeah. African-American. Fucking Nubian. Let me tell you why. Okay. Because I understand why you'll see black people 
who are half black, whatever, they'll 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 talk about everything else but being black, even though they look it. They'll go, I'm Swedish, right. I'm Irish, right. I'm and you're looking at them like, okay, you're skipping. Yeah. You're skipping. You're <laughs> wait, skipping. Wait. You're sk but they go, then they'll say black. But if you look at phonetically, Irish sounds amazing. Like I'm Irish. Yeah. I'm Swedish. The yeah. ish. Yeah. It's a sweet word. Mm -hmm. Black fucks it all up phonetically. Black. It's just a horrible word. Yeah, yeah. I get like it. Like where you're almost supposed to go like that's what ruined it. <laughs> exactly. And check it out. Oh, there there's like there you go. Right. That's, that, that's what that, I'm seeing. That's what I'm seeing. That's what's pissing me off. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Black. It's fucking horrible. Yeah. No wonder people deny it. Black. It's a color you put on a crayon. Black. If look at look at what I look like when I say black. Black. It's yeah. like I'm vomiting. Yeah. Black. You can spit and say black. Black. Okay. Black. 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 Yeah. Now watch me do white. White. Yeah. I smile as yeah. soon as I say white. Yeah. No wonder I keep it. They're, I'm I'm white. I'm white. Yeah. It. You're smiling. Yeah. You're using your smiling muscles. Right. It takes fourteen. White. White. Black. See. See. You see yeah. how you look. Yeah. Black. Yeah. Black. Black. I never thought about it's it. It's almost. Derogatory black. So you're no going wonder. with Nubian, but what Nubian. about African American? I don't mind African. I'm really African, so I, I can know. say I say Nigerian specifically, so it adds some exotic shit to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I go, I'm Nigerian because yeah. it's specific. I'm Congolese. I'm Ethiopian. Congolese. I like that. Oh, it's amazing. But listen, heavy place though. Heavy place. Yeah. Like Nubian. Fuck it. So African Americans from America don't deny their shit. They'll go, watch this. I'm I'm Irish. I'm Swedish. I'm Nubian. Oh, Nubian. Nubian. Okay. Nubian, yeah. Yeah. My dad's Nubian. He's part Nubian. <laughs> yeah. Fucking amazing. I'm changing the language. What What's holding you back? What do you mean? What's holding me back? I don't know. Shitty managers. I don't fucking know. My agents are great. Like I said, innovative yeah. is the shit. What 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 did you do at Comedy Central today? Um, I just got weirded out. Oh, really? No, I comedy. I had a meeting. And I was supposed to meet with a particular guy. He didn't come to the to the meeting. Oh, that's the worst. Where you have it like that's the guy you're supposed to meet. I was, and, I'm supposed, like, and I'm still gonna try and meet him. I I'm like bullshit. I'm like he's a good dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just I just sometimes stand up wise, I'm where I need to be. But when it sometimes when it comes to pitching shit, I get insecure as fuck, man. Really? I just don't think I go. Are they gonna like this shit? Really? I get weirded out, man. I'm not gonna I'll lie. Give you, that's hey, what's holding me back because I have a lot of good ideas, but I get afraid to flesh them out. Well, here's the, here's the trick to that is What's that the they have no idea what they're going to like one way or the other. They have a lot of open spots in their day. Uh-huh. And they're like, let's bring a funny guy in. And see what to, happens. To you, try think, to, you think so? Yeah. That's why they're, they're, they're taking the meeting. They're yeah. like, they're basically, it's a cry for help at all levels. You think it's a cry for help? Look at network television. Yeah. Are you kidding me? It's like they're, they're just hemorrhaging viewers. <laughs> they don't even know how to... No. <laughs> They're like, we don't know where anyone's watching anything. It's in a way, it's kind of cool. It's it's great. It's great. Are you kidding me? You, you just you, walk you in. You throw the power out of their hands. Here's your confidence. Like, I'll guarantee people will watch your network with this. Oh, there it is. Well, I am. I have to admit, though, I am better at my meetings because I'm I'm more straight to the point. I'm more honest, not in a bad way, not in, but I'm just more to the point and I kind of know what I want and I kind of ask them the questions more yeah. and I'm a little smarter from yeah. being just, I'm like an old whore, yeah. an old prostitute. <laughs> 
that I'm trying to, you know, when you talk to the young, the young hoes, you're yeah, like this, listen, baby, all you got to do, go in there, get your ass, suck the dick, and get out and get your money, baby. I'm yeah, telling you, it's nothing, don't, you don't want to waste money. too much time. Yeah, yeah. You give me the money. I'm like an old, I'm like an old prostitute. Yeah, yeah prostitute, You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to be a woulda, coulda, shoulda, man. That, a little, that like, freaks me out a little bit. I don't think you are. You seem to have been, you've tried to do everything you want. I'm. You know, I like how you're Mayweathering me right now. You just jab it, uh, and I'm like, "Fuck, you got me." Oh, uh, fuck, you got me. You don't have knockout punches. The thing is, you don't have knockout punches, but you're you're I'm opening up, you you're, you're opening up you the bottom of my yeah. eye a little bit. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, you yeah, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, by damn. the time we're done, you're like, I'm quitting. <laughs> I give up throwing the towel. You, that was good. I didn't even mean to. That's no, the weird thing with no. you. It just happened so naturally. It's so <laughs> another jab. <laughs> You're getting a lot of points from body punches, not well, knockout. You, but you laugh at it. I love because it's fucking oh, hysterical. Man. Because no matter what you do to me yeah. on this show, I it's the it it it's better than I'd rather have Mark Marin fuck with me on his show than you not invite me here. Yeah. Why well, are you kidding me? Because you don't you don't have, you try to be mean, but I see right through that shit. I know. That's, that's I've been why, through your pain, man. That's why I like you. Like a lot yeah. of people think I'm really mean and I'm like, they don't know me. And no. that's like, I thought about that the other day because I think it's like a bit I'm working on. It's like, like I'm, I'm an asshole, but I'm, but I'm really a nice guy. I so know like, that. so anyone who thinks I'm an asshole, like they should. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, then I'll, that's one person I'll have to deal with. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it weeds out your face. Exactly. It's like, oh, I'm not going to talk yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Read it. But it's like, if Orion you can Adams. see my heart, good. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know exactly who could see it. I know exactly. Right. And you know. Yeah, there are dudes that are sort of like, I'm not going to put up with anything. They're any stoic. Like the pretend like, asshole. Please, please, pretend pre asshole. You're pretending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hear that shit. Yeah. And then you offer me coffee. You're you're hospitable in your house. Shit like that. I So I don't want to play. I don't want to hear that shit. You know, I think you cook for people too if you I cook. have. I knew it. I fucking John, knew it. Some people come over, they don't forget to eat. You got what about us, man? I don't know. I just ate all the thing. I ate all the papaya. There's no. I don't have any good snacks right you now. Have any good snacks? Mm -mm. I had some cereal. Yeah, see what kind of cereal you fuck with? Puffins. P the fucking bird? Ugh. What do you mean? You like puffins? What That's the bird. That's the wannabe toucan Sam. I know what, what it is. Get the Fruit Loops, dude. No. Get dude, the raisin bran crunch. No. Puffins are dry. Are as you? Shit. Let me ask you a question. Are you a fucking grown up? Yeah. That's why I'm asking you to get me some fucking cereal. Some Fruit Loops. Uh, get me some goddamn Fruit Loops, man. What the fuck? That's what you do. Fruit Loops. You know, that's what you do as a grown-up. You eat cereal when the fuck you want, and you don't have to wait for your parents to tell you. No, I know, but I eat good cereal. He healthy. Puffins? They're just like, they're like Captain... They're Cor crunchy. They're, I know, there's those little corn crunch... Pillows, yeah. They're like little pillows. Yeah. That shit is whack, dude. All right. It's whack. It's, but it's not, it's not as bad Puffins? as Puffins? What do you want me to eat? Raisin bran crunch, not I can raisin bran. No, I can make raisin bran. I got bran flakes no, and no. I got raisins. Raisin bran right. crunch. Uh, uh, you know what else is good? Ooh. Life, cinnamon life. Cinnamon, why can't you just go with the original nah, life? that's just whack. Cinnamon life is tight. I used to eat cocoa pebbles when I was not a bad. kid. Cocoa pebbles is good. Cocoa <laughs> pebbles is good. Fruity, cocoa pebbles. That's I don't like the fruity pebbles. No? No, I got a problem with it. If it gets soggy. Oof. Yeah. See, I like a little milk, keep the shit top of top crunchy. Yeah. And then once it gets soggy, I toss it out. I like uh, soggy puffins. Fucking ugh. <laughs> soggy right. puffins. Yeah, we, we, that I sounds think, like that sounds like I think old nasty I think, ass. I think we've covered it all. Did we cover it all? Yeah. So yeah. why why are you here? I'm here because you said I could come and promote my 
new hour special that I filmed. I shot, okay, whatever you want to say. I yeah. shot in Chicago. At the Vic? No. Oh. They they did a bunch of those at the Vic. I decided to go with Rooftop Comedy, Matt Schuler and crew. Yeah. Giving them credit. Matt Schuler and crew. Um, Rooftop. At, it was at Second City at Up. Oh, Up's good. Second City. That's good. You know, I had a They're job. They're not going to do it anymore. It's I over. know. JB, who is awesome, JB said they were not going to do any more comedies anymore, which is sad. They good room. I never got to play it. Great room. I used to play. I didn't mind the Vic. I'm happy. Showtime's doing good ass shit, man. Yeah. They're doing good stuff. And yeah. you know what? You need to be on there where people can just pick your shit out and watch it. That's right. And it's good. It's good they still need stuff. And I think. <laughs> I need an eight count. Are you sure you want to still be in this fight? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I still want to be in this fight. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was a good one, Mark. Fuck. I love it. I don't shit. even know why I'm so good at it with you. You're I'm not, so, not very good at it. That's why I need to come more often. Okay. Not not a, not not on some crazy shit, but just all right. So I'm not. I'm an interesting dude to you. You notice? Know I know. I have man. a good. I have a good time. You have that's, a good time with me. Let's not go crazy. Fuck. Interesting. Anything you talk about, I can talk about with you. Doesn't matter. Well, I know we talk about country music. Let's save that. Let's save that one. Yeah. All right. Uh, so okay. uh, you want some puffins? Fuck that. I want maybe dry puffins. All right, bye. All right, peace. Ah, oh, yes, Godfried and Marin, that the the fun sparring, funny kind of almost crying engagement that we do. Uh again, Regular Black is uh, airing on Showtime on demand and on Showtime in general, I believe. Werner Herzog is here. I was thrilled to talk to him. He's one of those guys who I've seen a lot of his movies, but I obviously haven't seen all of his movies. And, and there's always some part of me that thinks I should see everything or listen to everything or read everything that my guests have written or shot or done or recorded, but it never matters. Uh, I knew what I wanted to, uh, to talk to him about in a way. I just wanted to talk to him about things. It was an exciting honor to meet Werner Herzog. So this is me and Werner. His new uh, documentary is called Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World. It's in theaters and on demand this Friday, August 19th. What is the last thing that you finished reading? An obscure historian, Greek antiquity. Yeah. Diodorus Siculus. So it's a, an actual Greek historian from BC. Yes. And when you read something like that, outside of the dates and information, uh, what do you glean from it? Oh, in this case, uh, I would say it's um, a soap opera story. Yeah. About the father of Alexander the Great, yeah. Philip II of Macedon. Uh-huh. And uh, Diodorus Siculus is a fairly unintelligent writer, more an encyclopedist. Uh -huh. But all of a sudden, when it comes to the father of Alexander the Great, he's brilliant and wild and uh -huh. unbelievable. Apparently, uh, Diodorus Siculus uh, had access to sources that others didn't have in antiquity. Right. So he got the inside information. <laughs> 
Well, we never know exactly. Is it really inside information? How much is made up? How much is uh, sort of slightly um, inclination into propaganda? You you don't know. Right. But what do you find is, uh, I mean, when you think, because if... If even watching the the new movie, that it, it seems that sometimes you're you really kind of focus on the the sort of vulnerability of humans and their their needs and desires and and where that takes them. So when you look at something like like a propagandist or or, or somebody that's you know perhaps you know switching history around. What do you think creates that dynamic? Do you think he was working for the state, or do you think he was? No, here? no, no. It's uh, history is always a, a question of perception. Uh huh. So you, when whenever you read history, any kind of history, uh, it is always perception. Right. It, there's always a a tendency, unbeknownst, uh, beknownst to the writer. Right. Um. And you have to read the historical context and you have to read the mood of the time and you have to understand the argument within the context of, of the time. Right. So and then it becomes fascinating. Right. Because you have the whole world. You can look at the whole world of what's happening. You have the full context. Um, you will never have the full context. That's an illusion. <laughs> but you can get snippets of it. Well, when I was watching Lo and Behold, this the, the new documentary, they, I, I, it was not a good night for me. Uh, you know, I enjoyed the movie, but I didn't sleep well. I had dreams of spiders for some reason. I don't know why, but I found myself terrified at the end of it, and that I, I should be doing something to, uh, to, to that, that's the odd thing at the end of that film is that like I should be doing something to protect what there's no, there's no way out really. Yes, of course there is. Why are you so negative? Sounding so doomed. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Is it? Yes, of course. So and do I not show some of the glories of the internet, for example? Oh no, yeah, no, it's, it's great. So, yeah, yeah. But what I found the, the most glorious was the, the the passion of these of these scientists and these uh, researchers and even the security analysts that you know the challenge of now managing the the monster or or the or the beautiful thing however you want to look at it is is really going to be the the humanity's work is going to be managing this monster you see that the internet is not good or evil right nor is electricity right it doesn't have qualities beyond the technical qualities. Right. Although if we strap you onto an electric chair yeah. and execute you, you better recalibrate your opinion a few minutes before we do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Right. So in the hands yeah. of humans, this, uh, this amazing force can go either way. Yeah, well, humans are good or evil they are and and uh, much worse so m much of the time they are very stupid mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's a certain danger <laughs> stupid and evil are not uh, mutually exclusive in any way like yeah. a, a lot of the very uh, classic stupid evil people that have done great damage in their yeah. stupidity you know i sorry that i would like to tell you a dream because Please. i hardly ever dream when hardly did it happen not long ago, but uh, I dream maybe once in a year. Really? And I was uh, running 
in a street in Mexico somehow pursued by God knows what. And at an intersection, I bump into a donkey uh, that has some sort of a load packed on it. And I'm knocked down and somebody, a priest picks me up and shakes me and screams at me, do you believe in the forces of evil? Do you renounce uh, Satan himself? And, and somehow, perplexed as I was, I said, I do not believe in, uh, in the devil. I only believe in stupidity. That was what I dreamt. So, <laughs> you better figure that one out. <laughs> Is that, that, that seems like a good short film. <laughs> it's almost, it, do you, did you grow up with religion? Uh, no. Not at all? Well, I had a deeply religious phase in my adolescence, and I converted to Catholicism, which didn't last very long. How but old? I was a very 13, 14. What compelled you? That's too complex to discuss it here, but uh, it is a fact that I had a very intense, dramatic uh, religious phase that in, in a way uh, threatened to break the family apart, which uh, was a family of militant atheists. Huh. Yeah, do, 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 when you look back on it, do you think it, maybe that was the reason you did it? Was no, to find no, independence? No, no, no? no I had... I was independent uh, mm -hmm. since I started to think independently, even before that, Yeah, because uh, my brothers and I grew up uh, in an environment where there were no fathers. So, <clears throat> Because of the to, war? Yes, we had to take care of ourselves. We had to shape our destiny. We understood it. We have to be self-reliant. So, so what year was that? What year were you born? 1942, in the middle of the Second World War. Oh, my God. And my very er first uh, reminiscences are um, connected to the very end of the war. Like... Uh, like Very visually. Like, like sounds and destruction? <clears throat> uh, actually, no destruction. I didn't see destruction because my mother fled to the mountains, mm -hmm. to the most remote valley... Uh, in the Alps, because where I was born, uh, there was a carpet uh, bombardment, and uh, we were really in danger, so my mother fled. Oh, that was good. And um, I do remember, however, that she ripped my older brother and me out of our beds in the middle of the night and carried us, and it was cold, and she wrapped us into blankets. And she said, children, boys, I, I had to wake you up. You have to see this. And at the end of the valley, very far in the distance, the horizon was completely in the middle of the night, dark night. The horizon was pulsing in red and orange, the entire horizon. And she says, boys, you have to see this. The city of Rosenheim is burning in the city of Rosenheim, 30 miles away at least. Was leveled? Completely, yes. Like uh, pretty much every major city in, uh, in Germany, 720 cities were completely leveled. 
but leveled the way Ground Zero looked like. Yeah. And that was only a tiny fraction of New York City. Yeah, and it just and a few, a f very few cities were not actually bombed by virtue of some statistical errors. I think. Oh, really? <laughs> you think <laughs> they were not? They didn't need to be bombed. Do you mean? No, they were forgotten, maybe, or uh, they didn't. <laughs> Somebody was not keeping track of what had been destroyed and what was still uh, out there. Yeah. So your father died in the war? No. Uh, he was uh, in captivity and then right after the, well, very f soon after the war, divorced. Mm. When did you move back into uh, a city? Uh, when it was time to go to high school. It means age uh, 11. Uh-huh. And, and when you got back, which city did you go back to? Munich, where I was born. So it was, how long did it take for them to reconstruct that city? Was it some of it life? is still, some of it is still filling up. There are still gaps uh, that are filling up. But I would say basically by the time of the Munich Olympics were held, 1972, Uh, they utilized some of the mountains that were built up as uh, part of the Olympic landscape. Yeah. And these mountains were, is, uh, I mean, gi gigantic amounts of uh, cubic feet. Of It was all rubble. Really? And it was flat. But now you do have, we call it Schuttberge, the, the debris mountains. <laughs> right. In the, and, and now they're overgrown with uh, grass and trees. And they look like very normal landscape. But uh, uh, archaeologists of the future in a thousand years will dig into it. And they will find millions and millions of, of cubic uh, feet, billions of cubic feet of uh, rubble. Rubble and pieces of history. Whatever, yes. So when you knew that, when did you start, you know, thinking, you know, creatively in, in terms of like wanting to pursue film or wanting to pursue a life of art? That was the same time I converted to Catholicism. I started to travel on foot. I knew I was going to be a poet, a filmmaker, and... Um, 13. 14, I would say. Yeah. 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 And then things, it was all in a very short span of time. And somehow I'm still carried by it until today. By the, the, the purpose of it? By the... No, accepting, uh, recognizing my fate. Uh-huh. That, that, that is what you are. Yes, it sounds, well, it sounds a little bit pathetic. You better uh, grab this touch this term uh, accepting or understanding your fate you better touch it only with a pair of pliers <laughs> but i think you, you know what i mean i do yeah i do is that that you understood what you are here to do what i yes giving And, meaning to my life yes. in an otherwise uh, meaningless and aimless universe uh, <laughs> yeah And it, it, so it's it's almost like uh, it is saving your life on some level. No, no, of course no. not. Okay. Uh, my life was given to me uh, by some strange coincidence, statistically improbable, but I'm now I'm here. <laughs> so you, I, I better had to figure out what to do with it. But do you, I, I, I mean, because if I, when I watch the documentaries and some of the feature films, I, it, it 
you know, these they're challenging because they're they're amazingly human and they're completely compelling, but uh, but sometimes um, dark, obviously, and sometimes you know very. Um, there's a vulnerability to them that 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 is disturbing. Like when if, if I think of of Grizzly Man, and I even watched I watched uh, even Dwarf started small recently. That you, you know that that's hum- a wild one, a radical one. It is yeah. because it you know it's a very challenging thing when you watch even Dwarfs were small to not uh, laugh a lot. Of course, it has a very dark humor in, in it, very yeah. black humor. And many of my films, by the way, have a lot of humor in it. Oh, no, yeah, definitely. The, the, I, I feel that. It, you have a great sense of timing and a great sense of, uh, of yeah. where to cut. You know, sometimes right, yeah. you let things hang for a minute yeah. you know, in the documentaries or, all the time. <clears throat> or even poking fun at the internet and the use of the internet in low and behold yeah. I show Buddhist monks with the uh, next to at the skyline and they're all <laughs> tweeting <laughs> so in my commentary of course <laughs> makes it a very hilarious event right yes and, and, and you- I know how to how to deal with the internet in a way and strange enough my my humor on the internet has quite often become viral I was asked in a podcast uh, for the first time when I showed Lo and Behold at Sundance yeah. and became a, a phenomenal success there. And I was in a podcast and I asked, yeah, but but I have my laptop open, but I don't see you. And I was instructed, well, you don't see me uh, like in a Skype conversation right. because this is a podcast. Right. It's only like radio. <laughs> and I said, but how do you, do I access? And they gave me an address. Right. You just uh, type in this access, uh, uh, this um, keyword, and then Google us. And now comes this. Yeah. Of course, my kind of joke. Yeah. I asked, how for heaven's sake do I hack into Google? <laughs> <laughs> they were screaming, <laughs> and uh, so I think you understand my type of humor. No, I do. I, I, I've I've watched a, a lot of the movies, and and I think that that it sometimes it relieves a moment. There are moments in this that are are humorous, but they're also powerful. You know, when you ask that guy if he loved his robot. I mean, yes, and he does. He does. He, he <laughs> Robot re- Eight. He really loves Robot Eight. They all, they all love Robot Eight. Yeah, it seems to be a, 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 a yeah. something that you explore, you know, a lot. That we're vulnerable, and and sometimes life, you know, gets away from us in certain ways, and 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 being human is uh, is fragile. Yeah. Right. And yet. Uh, uh, what they are doing is a monumental achievement yes. of, of human ingenuity. I know, but it's with something... certain dangers, of course. A lot, but, of, but right. it it is uh, it is a, a very momentous kind of revolution, as momentous as, for example, the introduction of fire. Yes, for early humans. Yes, uh, or as the introduction of electricity. That's a huge thing. Yes. It's much bigger than, let's say, uh, printing books, yes. Gutenberg, Bible, and so on. Right. From then. It's much bigger than all this. And it's bigger than the discovery of uh, of America by Columbus. Yes. You see, and, and that's why the, the logbook that you find at UCLA, the, which yeah. uh, actually did the very first server-to-server yeah. connection, yeah. Uh, 
between UCLA and Stanford. And the very first message that was sent across right. should be log in. Yeah, and but they spelled L. Oh. Has, uh, L arrived. They asked via telephone. Yes. Uh, yep. <laughs> L has arrived. Yeah. Has O arrived? Yep. O has arrived. When they typed in G, the computer crashed. <laughs> so it's just low. <laughs> so, low. Yes. And it's. Uh, As uh, Leonard Kleinrock, the pioneer, yeah. tells us, this was a very auspicious sort of label all of a sudden. Low, like in Low and Behold. Right. And they didn't even, they had no clue how momentous uh, that moment was. And he knows it was more momentous. This tiny little uh, entry in their logbook had more significance than... Uh, Columbus's uh, logbook on the ship. This morning we spotted land. Yes, it's bigger than that. I think it is, and I guess maybe because it's a good documentary, I'm bringing a lot of my own cynicism to you know to everything that's being discussed. That you know, I think that that's what's compelling about a, a film like that is that like I can't not think of darkness winning ultimately. Like and when they talk about like when when are we going to be able to walk? Yeah, but you don't look like like a like a guy. I mean, I see you. You sit opposite to me. You don't look like being driven by dark forces. No, I'm sure you love a good steak once in a while. I had one the other night. Okay, I yeah. read your face correctly. Yes, I, I am occasionally a steak eater. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and But, your laughter isn't fiendish. It, no, no. I think, <laughs> I, I think I'm speaking mean, out of fear. I don't think I'm necessarily a dark guy. But when I hear these guys, uh, you know, the, the guy in the planetarium saying like, you know, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about a world where this thing goes wrong. I don't even want to entertain that thought right now. We should. Of course. We should, of course, because uh, we can take uh, very easy precautions uh, individually. For example, there's constant talk we should get rid of cash money and we should uh, introduce uh, virtual reality, uh, virtual um, uh, currency like bitcoins or yeah. we should only pay uh, electronically. Yeah. No, because if the internet is down, you cannot buy your hamburger at the joint down at the corner. No, and you I cannot flush your toilet anymore <laughs> and you cannot go in the elevator to the 70th floor in New York City and you have no connectivity, you have no uh, radio, no telephone, yeah. nothing. Right. So uh, we better uh, provide ourselves with uh, at least a small stash of dollar bills, uh -huh. small denominations, because with a hundred dollar bill, you still can buy a hamburger, mm -hmm. but they wouldn't have the change to give you back. So you better have one dollar bills, five, ten, twenty dollar bills. I know, but in the movie, it seems like, you know, within two or three days, there's not going to be any hamburgers either. That <laughs> could actually be, yes. Uh, that, and, like, you know, within, no matter what you do to safeguard yourself, that within a week or two, uh, it, it's going to be ugly. Yes, but uh, now let's, on the technical level, let's try and find uh, certain safeguards to reinstall things, or at least regionally, uh, decentralize, 
decentralize the, yeah. the entire system so that only certain parts are going to be affected, like with the electrical grid. If something is, uh, uh, some generation generator station is blasting away, uh, you reroute your currency and, and uh, in a similar way you can do so with the internet. There's not much... Uh, thought going into it, I'm sure that, uh, for example, secret services are very much interested in that. So when you make a film like that, you, you don't find yourself uh, feeling bleak? No, not at all. It's it's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to, to look at it and to conceptualize and to see things that have, nobody has even predicted 15 years ago, and they're happening now. Do you believe and they're changing our behavior, and yes. they're changing uh, our, uh, let's say, at least the organization of technical civilizations. Yes. So the Amish couldn't care less, right. but they have a, a very good survival rate if everything goes down because they are self, self-reliant yes. uh, homestead farmers. Yes. And they don't even need electricity. Right. But but what about the rest of us? <laughs> we will have a harder time and we better look we better look at what we are doing. You can go out for hunting and and foraging, but the park here in Los Angeles is in downtown Los Angeles is very small and you've got about uh, maybe fifty squirrels for fifteen million people who live around there. A few coyotes. You gotta learn how a to few, eat coyotes. Yes, you have to eat the coyote, <laughs> but they are not enough for fifteen million. Okay. So that's yeah. that's a problem. Yeah, it is a problem. But I yeah, but like I said, I thought it was a, a, a beautiful movie that weighed all this stuff it pretty is. well. Yes, it, it is. is. It definitely <laughs> Damn it, is. It, it is. Like the what was being talked about at the end, which I sort of get obsessed about, is that like at the beginning of this conversation where we were talking about you taking a an ancient Greek historian and putting it into context to fully understand the possibilities of the times that he is trying to to yeah. to talk about. And and that one of the things that I I've said before about about the internet is that eventually you may have a generation of kids if they're not there now who will just say you know like adolf hitler oh he's the guy with the mustache and that's all they know so in in terms of contextualizing and honoring history and actually having like they were talking about the end how do you be continue to inspire kids to or, or young people to engage your imagination and contextualize what has happened before them. It has to come from them. I cannot play the principle. No, I know for that. all of us. Uh, but but you're uh, so, so be careful. Uh, no, and and I do not uh, think that uh, young people uh, will eventually ask the essential questions: Why are we here? What are we doing here? How do we conduct our lives? How do we uh, touch each other? How do we cook for each other? How do we uh, raise children? You believe they will continue to ask those questions? Yes, it, uh, it's inevitable. Sure, we are humans. Let's face it. But that one- and it's it's a wild it's a wild time of trans transition. So that's how you see it. That, that we're yes. in a transition. Yes, that this and, is and not. We the- do not. We do not know how to how to deal with the instrument well enough. You see, in the 50s, there was this obsession of cars. Yeah. Elvis in his car, in this, yeah. this big Buick or whatever it was, and uh, drive-in restaurants. And yeah. you could do, in Las Vegas, still I think you can do a drive-in drive wedding. 
Yeah. And I have seen a sign in Las Vegas, not long ago, where there was an advertisement, drive, drive by divorce. Yeah. <laughs> you see, but it, yeah. this, this kind of obsession with cars yes. is a little bit outdated. And right. we are rethinking our cars and we are trying to have cars that uh, have a much lower emission of uh, uh, of gases, right. of toxic gases, yeah, or right. we are moving into electric cars. So uh, we, we, we have started to understand how to use this tool. I get it. No, I, I understand. And there's no, no drive by divorce anymore. Right. Yeah. No. It's a, you got to you got to do it the old fashioned way. But it, but all, all those technologies require human engagement on a, on a very organic level. That you, you know now there there are so many and obviously you're not a scientist. But I mean I understand that we're adapting to a new world and a new technology. Yeah. But so much of it is has nothing to do with us in the sense of we don't know anything. No, it all has to do with us. Uh, for example, uh, GPS system yes. has to do with fundamental insights into movement and time. Mm -hmm. uh, without the uh, theory of relativity by Einstein, we could not have a GPS system. That's right. You see, yes. and and it's uh, it it is not visible for us, and it is not palpable. But we are doing it because we had Einstein. Yes. And and when you pay your grocery at the cash register, you do not uh, have to go into the mathematical principles that rule the cash register calculation no, I, yeah. machine. You don't need to do that. Yes. And yet, yeah. it's it's a normal thing. You yes. Uh, you buy certain things and. Yes. Um, you pay a certain amount, yeah. and it has been calculated. Yeah, how it was calculated is uninteresting now. Yes, that's true. Okay, it has disappeared. Okay, I, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I just get nervous when you know you have the darker elements that you explore. I thought the the security analyst guy was great, the one that was not able to give you a lot of information. Yes. But I thought that was very fascinating. That you know. That, that even securing what is happening, you know, from yeah. another human being yes. or maybe a group of human beings, you have to identify patterns. You have to live in this world right. where, where patterns become suspect and then track patterns. I thought that was all, uh, you know, very fascinating. It is. And, and of course, uh, it comes right at the time, at the right time for discussion when everybody was into uh, the thing of hacking yeah. uh, the democratic convention emails. Sure. Yes. Uh, yeah. And there were machinations against Bernie yeah. Sanders. And so, number one, uh, it's not really clear whether it was any of the Russians who in the KGB or the modern form of the KGB would call himself Cozy Bear. Yeah. yeah. Nor, nor has <laughs> the NSA or the CIA ever confirmed it. They yeah. keep ominously silent at the same time we should understand whether massive monumental siphoning of of knowledge of technologies of science of uh, details secrets of uh, manufacturings is taking place yeah. it's not it's not an individual hacker it's right. 
not the yeah. Russians. I mean, everybody does it. Sure. America sh certainly yes. does it. But there's one player out there that uh, siphons off trillions of dollars of, of worth, of values. Yeah. And they are still out there and they are still doing it. Yeah. So you name the name. I don't know the name. I know it and everybody knows it. Yeah. Name horse and rider. Just take a guess among the countries that is siphoning off. No trillions of dollars? Trillions of dollars. Take Do a guess. China. Uh, you pronounce it in a beautiful way. We do not exactly know, but we we should assume. <laughs> so you may have come to a smart conclusion <laughs> and ask ask the professional hackers. That guy was great in the movie. Mitnick. Mitnick. Yes, Kevin Mitnick. I love him. I love him too. Uh, and uh, and of course, uh, I was asked, yeah, why do you expose him in the film and give him a platform? Uh, hasn't he done damage? Actually, he hasn't done real damage because he never sold any of the goodies that yeah. he hacked. Yeah. He never did it for profit. He did it for trophies. I love that moment. And, and besides, we have to consider... This man has spent five years in federal prison, one year in in complete isolation. How old was he, like 20? He looked uh, he very young. At the time, he was very young. I mean, he was yeah. 19, yeah. and he was the most famous Hacker. and most wanted of all hackers. He was made an example of. And he has been brought to justice. Yes. And I, I do believe in rehabilitation yes. of a criminal and by the way, Mitnick today is running a, a security company that advises you how do you protect your company from intrusions and hacking and stealing and siphoning off. You know, so he's good at that. Yeah. He's a very reliable uh, businessman now. And also the interesting thing in dealing with the human factor was yes. just how how much he knew had to do with his ability to coax information out of yes. people on a on yeah. a human level exactly. to get yeah. into he the would, yeah there, there were always better hackers i mean technically yeah. there were better ones but he was the one who could bamboozle you out of your wits <laughs> yeah yeah and you would give away secrets that you sure. would never give away yeah. he has it in 11 minutes flat yes in 11 minutes he gets uh, all the secret code of a new Motorola yeah. cell phone at yeah. the time. That's a, a that's a, an eternal human archetype, the smooth talker. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, he, he has, and he says it very well, he, he does have the gift yeah, of gab. Yeah, yeah. I like this expression. Now, when you make, it seems that your output of documentaries in the last decade or so has been a lot, and, you know, you, you make a lot of big feature films as well. What is more the passion? Is it just a different approach? Do you see them as equal? No, there's a slightly different approach, although everything is uh, is movies for me. Yeah. And when you poke into the question, I can give you a statistical uh, answer yeah. at the moment I have four finished films all ready for release yeah. on the 19th of August it's lo and behold reveries of the connected world in Telluride very first days of September a new documentary um, on volcanoes a few days later a feature film Salt and Fire which I shot in Bolivia about a mysterious hostage taking uh, and I also have a big uh, epic feature film out uh, 
um, which is called Queen of the Desert. So two feature films ready for release, two documentaries ready for release. And my next projects are basically all at the moment feature film projects. But it doesn't really matter. Don't don't start to count and don't go into statistics. No, I was just wondering, like in terms of your approach to them and what you can get out of them. Are the are the feature films? Are they your scripts, both of them, or are you just feature films? Always my own scripts, with very rare exceptions. So when when like just in the craft of doing both of them, what is the essential you know thrill or search when you write a film and direct a film and you have complete control, or or, or as opposed to when you are putting together footage of interactions. But I, I also write, of course, a, a documentary, and right. I, I uh, somehow stylize them and I stage them. Yeah. Like, for example, the appearance of um, Buddhist monks yes. at the skyline yeah. of uh, Chicago and musing about have they all left for, uh, yeah. I mean, the inhabitants, millions of inhabitants of Chicago right. for a colony on Mars. Yeah. Because it looks very lifeless, There's no movement, nothing around. But were they so just there or did you put they them were there? there but no. I, by the way, if they had been just entering their, their bus, yeah. I would have asked them, please, can you step out for my camera once more and please do the tweeting that you did before. <laughs> so that's the nature of my kind of documentaries. I do it for enhancement of a deeper truth. Yes. Something that's quite beautiful out there and... Uh, something that um, connects us to, to poetry. Yes. I like to take audiences, and I'm speaking now of documentaries, I take them uh, left and right, and I, and I take them right into the, into the landscape of sheer illumination and poetry. Yeah, the poetry. And you see, I, I, I claim the right of trespassing if I can take you, the audience, into the landscape of poetry. Yes. I do any form of trespassing easily. For example, at the end of my film, Cave of Forgotten Dreams, which is a film about a Paleolithic cave yeah. uh, recently discovered with cave paintings yes. of phenomenal beauty and quality made something like 32,000 years ago. And there's a postscript. And the postscript is about... Uh, mutant albino radioactive crocodiles yeah. <laughs> and I'm going completely wild and the audiences love it <laughs> and it has to do obviously it is connected to the film loosely it has to do with perception how did humans like us they were homo sapiens uh, how did they perceive their paintings how do we today in the 21st century perceive these paintings and how would a crocodile an albino crocodile in in a biotope nearby near a nuclear reactor yeah. how do they when they escape and enter the cave see these paintings right. and by the way as crazy as it may sound yes. there's this biotope uh, for tourists with hundreds of crocodiles five of them escaped last winter well, at the beginning of winter, sure. there was a huge hunt with uh, for the crocodiles. Uh, huge hunt, including <laughs> helicopters searching for them. Some somehow, some of them were found in a um, uh, in a harvested cornfield, in a frozen harvested cornfield, and one of them is still at large, unaccounted. 
and I counted <laughs> off. And I counted so, crocodiles. So my wildest fantasies are yeah. overtaken by sure. something real. Yeah, they, or yeah, or it's prophetic. But like the poetry, like I read some of the uh, the the book that you wrote in the early seventies uh, of Walking on Ice. Of Walking in Ice, in yeah. Ice. yeah. Uh, it, and that was a a fairly astounding poetic achievement. That, that just the way you yeah. were, you know, engaging in in the life that you were that you were moving towards. It, it obviously yeah. was in the wake of a, a of an ill friend, but but it it, it was essentially poetry. Yes, uh, you see it correctly. It. Uh, was born out of a certain necessity, not just uh, sitting down yes. in front of some empty paper and then starting to write poetry. I was traveling on foot at the beginning of winter from Munich to Paris because my mentor, an old woman, Lotte Eisner, was dying and I wouldn't allow her to die by just coming on foot. She yeah. wouldn't die. Actually, she was out of hospital when I arrived. And I know that uh, these written texts like of walking in ice yeah. and another book um, which is very intense it's called uh, conquest of the useless they will outlive my films yeah why do you think that because it's a more direct sort of expression you only right. uh, have uh, a pen and paper in between you and what you are in your essence. Yes. In filmmaking, there's always finances and organization and technical things, camera and mixing and yeah. psychology of actors, and you just name it. Um, so there are many layers in between. Yeah. And besides, I think there's no one who writes prose as I do today. No, I think that's... There's no one. True. And and I say that uh, uh, probably in uh, complete misjudgment. But <laughs> so Did, be it. Why don't you do more of it? I'm asking myself the same question and some of my best friends tell me so. But I'm doing... Uh, I have too many things going on. I, As I said, I'm producing very fast yes. nowadays. And I do things that... I haven't done so much before. I, I'm acting, for example. Yeah, yeah. We're including, gonna, we're, including as a real villain in Jack Reacher. Yeah, yeah. Do you like it? Yes, because I was good. Yeah, yeah. I was really good in it, and yeah. I was paid handsomely to be as, as frightening as it gets. <laughs> and man, am I frightening. <laughs> but you did, did you always, I mean, you took a long time to act. Having been working with actors forever, it comes easily to me now. Now, because, right? Yeah, sure. Why? Because you don't. You're not self-conscious, or no? I think it was always in me, in a way, and I always un understood actors on a very deep level. Until I actually understood much of the technical side. There's, of course, there's craft. Yeah, there's craft in it. Sure. And you can see it when I recently uh, published uh, Masterclass as a company that does masterclasses. And I watched, just to see how the format functioned, I watched uh, two actors, Dustin Hoffman and Kevin Spacey. Yeah. And Dustin Hoffman, more than anyone, speaks about craft. Yes. And very, very interesting. Yes. He's really good at explaining it. Yeah. And so you learned from him? No, uh, because I saw it only very oh, recently okay. and I did all my acting yeah, before. without, before I had seen, <laughs> yeah. but um, 
Very interesting. Now I, now I want to watch it. It's worthwhile because uh, it is more dense, yeah. densely packed than any of the other master classes that are available out there. But with or without craft, having worked you know, for years with, with Kinski, who you were close with, and many other different actors, do you do agree that, that some people just have a, a natural thing for it, right? I mean, there are some people that just belong in that profession. Yeah. But you should not uh, forget that Kinski was, in a way... Um, extremely into rehearsing in his early times. Yes. He would improve his uh, pronunciation, his speech, his stage voice, his uh, uh, ductus of language. Uh -huh. I mean, he was, he was fanatically rehearsing. Yeah, yeah. And he always denied it. Now I'm, uh, I'm a genius <laughs> fallen out of the skies and nobody's <laughs> ever been like this before. And <laughs> he would, when you, when you told him, uh, Klaus, you were, you were wonderful, you were great, he would scream, no, I was not wonderful. I was not great. I was monumental. I was epochal. <laughs> so that's his answer. But and do not forget, for example, um, great icons in acting like uh, um, Marilyn Monroe. Yes. It looks, when you look at uh, Some Like It Hot, as if it came with complete ease. And she, when you look at her professional life, was fanatically rehearsing and training herself. Yes. She was, she was a, a workhorse of... Uh, of great of great intensity and, yeah and she worked with uh the the method it, right it oh forget about the method <laughs> she only she only uh, uh was declined after she she was with the method yes. and marlon brenda only declined after he had been with the method so i i would say see it only with a great uh, uh amount of doubt right uh but uh she was a real, real workhorse. It's a little bit like when you watch Olympics and you see the swimmers. Yeah. I mean, they right. swim with great grace. Yes. And fluidity. Yes. And at the same time, it's 10 years of, of training uh, each day, swimming at least 10 kilometers mm -hmm. in training. Yes. Not a single day. Right. Without 10 kilometers. Right. You got to put the work in. Yes. Well, in Salt and Fire, you work with uh, Michael Shannon, who I like a lot. Oh, he's the best of his generation. Yeah. you like he, Clearly he, the best. There's yeah. no one like him. Yeah. I love the man. Is it, uh, do you, with him, what, what, do you see the work? I see uh, somebody of extraordinary gift. Mm-hmm. And an extraordinary presence. You see presence yes. on screen. In a way, it is inexplicable. There's yes. something mysterious about it. Mm -hmm. um, because not everybody has it, obviously. It, some people yes, just Yes, some sort of charisma. Yeah. It comes from somewhere else, and we cannot even name it. Yes. That's what, and that fits into the poetry. Yes. So when you talk about um, Lottie Eisner, right? Yes. This was the early seventies, and you call her your mentor. So, what did you what did you learn from her early on that sort of guided you through your first films and whatnot? No, it's it's not that she taught me anything. Okay, 
However, she put me in contact with the silent movies of the Weimar epoch, Murnau, Fritz Lang. Yeah, and yeah. then later, it was her encouragement. Right. The encouragement from my first film on, she said, there's somebody out there who is extraordinary in, in her opinion. And uh, she was in very close contact with Fritz Lang, who lived in uh, Hollywood at yes. that time. Yes. And she wrote letters to him and she said, Fritz, you have always said after the barbarism of the Third Reich, of the Nazis, yes. there cannot be real legitimate great German cinema again. Never ever. And she said to him, Fritz, you know what? I send you a print of a film by a young kid uh, who made a film Signs of Life, his first feature film. And she sent him the print And Fritz Lang saw it and, and he said, Lotte, you are right. Yes, there's something coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was encouragement. That's an amazing Because at the thing. time, nobody wanted to see my films, including Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Nobody wanted, wanted to see the film. Why? Uh, it's, I cannot explain it. I don't know why. Do you Sometimes think it happens. It took three, four, five years until the film all of a sudden had its breakthrough. And do you think that was because of, of Germany, or do you think it was because of no, you? The, the film was, was so such a novelty in its raw, in its raw approach, uh -huh. and it was not at the horizon of anyone. And sometimes it's very strange how these things happen. I keep thinking about uh, Franz Kafka, mm -hmm. uh, of his the, the novel The Castle, I think during his lifetime, 32 copies were sold. Right. And we know that at least uh, he himself, out of embarrassment, bought 10 copies <laughs> himself. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, you, you never know. Now, at the time, uh, it, did you, was there a community? Like, was, were, are you friends with Vim Vendors and Fassbender? Were you, did you, Not were you really friends? We, we respected each other very deeply. Yeah. But um, we knew our styles were different, our subjects were different, yeah. not like neorealism in Italy after the war, uh, where there was a common style right. and common social sort of agenda mm -hmm. in, uh, in their movies. But, the, the, but it was considered uh, a movement in a way, right? Or was it considered German new cinema? Or? Yeah, let's, let's not argue whether it was a movement. No, or no, not. no. Some, some sort of a renaissance. But you were around each other. You were in, in, in the same world. Yes, uh, but... Different. And, and we understood we would be perceived as a, as a movement, yeah. which none of us liked. Sure, right. <laughs> Did you like their movies? Uh, not all of them, but yes, sure. Uh, uh, there are very, very fine movies from that time. And you know, when I did Akira, The Wrath of God, yes. I took eight prints. I mean, 35 millimeter prints, yes. ugly to carry and heavy. I took them to Peru yeah. and I rented a theater and I showed them for free. Yeah, And it was phenomenal success. So many people were excited about them. Three of the films were films by Fassbinder, for example. Mm -hmm. And Fassbinder even didn't know that I took them. 
And only a year and a half later, he said, well, Werner, what is that? You came to my office and you saw three prints sitting there in the corner and you were the one who took them. You were the one. Confess. <laughs> I said, Rainer Werner, yes, I confess. I took them. I showed him. And and you know what? He, he, he just came at me with his intimidating look <laughs> and then he stretched his arms and hugged me very hard. And that was it. Oh, that's great. So. He was, yeah. You took them. Yes, of course I took them because they were very, very fine movies and they had to be shown. Which movies? Uh, I don't really recall, but one was, I think, his second film he made, Katzelmacher. Mm -hmm. A very, very interesting film. Well, they, well we began to talk about uh, Even Dwarf Started Small, which was, you know, uh, you said darkly funny, which it was, just right, right away. Yeah. What when when because I was trying to look for something in that film that that you know was a portal into something that lasted your entire creative vision. Do you see that in that movie? Do you do you see the beginning of something that you have continued to try to resolve or or incorporate? No, I I don't have a real agenda. However, I know that uh, I do have a coherent worldview. Yeah. And uh, this film, Lo and Behold, yes. is essentially somehow within my worldview and within my uh, curiosities to expand my worldview. Yes. And uh, when, you, when you see the film, you would, without having any credits, you would notice very quickly this is a film by by me. Of course, as soon as you hear you talk, <laughs> and, and, and even if it were only in written captions, you would you would get the message. But I guess what I, I guess what I saw was that by using dwarves and by using little people, that there was a built-in vulnerability to what was essentially a fairly harrowing story. They do not appear uh, as midgets or as dwarves right. in the film because the entire world is only little people. Yeah, right. Whereas right. whereas the, the Cadillac that drives by or the motorcycle or the chairs yes. or the nuptial bed yes. are of size for us. But all of a sudden, all these daily tools uh, of everyday life become like monsters. Yes. All of a sudden, all these goodies become monstrous. Right. So that's that, that kind of moves they, through. That, they uh, are they are the regular size. All the the chair, the motorcycle, everything looks like a monster all of a sudden. Right. And when when you did the volcano, when you went up to the the first volcano movie, you're releasing another volcano movie. Well, I'm just finishing a film into the inferno. Yes, which will be shown uh, in three weeks from now. And what was the one that I watched? Telluride. Uh, La Souffrière about a film about a volcano that was about to explode oh, yeah, in that, the Caribbean. Right. And I went there because I was fascinated by learning that uh, uh, there were very, very dramatic, quick evacuations of the entire island, yeah. 75,000 people. And one single poor farmer who lived at the slope of the volcano refused to be evacuated. The guy with the cat. Yes, yeah. and we had to wake him up while yeah. we started filming. <laughs> and was, deeply philosophical, a yes. very poor uh, black farmer who lived on the slope of the volcano. And we knew it would explode with the force of six, seven, eight atomic bombs, Hiroshima size. But so, you knew you might be there for that too. Uh, 
in a way, yes, but I was somehow prudent. No, it, that was the only one or two times in my uh, films, in my work, in my working life, I took some sort of blind lottery. Otherwise, I'm a very, very prudent, safety, security-oriented person. Yeah. And I can read the difficulties and I can read the dangers yes. very, very well, better than others. However, the moment we were done filming, we would flee yeah. as far as, as fast and as far as we could. And we went up on the volcano a second time, but only because of a, a bizarre uh, coincidence. One of the two cinematographers, Ed Lockman, a wonderful, great uh, cinematographer in the industry, he lost his glasses right. up on the volcano. Yeah. And I said, Edward, you are so helpless down there and we can't get you any glasses you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna return up there and i'm finding them and i said give me your camera and he said now i'll come with you and schmidt reitwein the other cinematographer also came along and once we had reached the summit it was completely changed it was plowed over and uh, and uh, fissure had open miles deep and toxic gases coming protruding from it so uh there was no way to find his glasses, but we kept on filming for a while and then <laughs> fled again. <laughs> and in, in do you? The, I got to ask you a couple questions before I, I specific ones that I, before I forget them. In Grizzly Man, which was primarily assembling, yeah. right? There's a, no half the film is shot by me, right? And then, oh, that's 50%. right. And then you had a lot of his and, stuff. His uh, yeah. Timothy Treadwell's footage, yes. There's a beat in there that I think changed, like that to me was one of the best moments in film for me. W because, it, and I think you must have been aware of it, that it, of course you were, but it, w there was that moment where you sort of discuss how these animals are not, they don't have personalities per se, that they're wild animals. Not uh, anthropomorphic. Right, that was sort it. of and uh, then and then quickly qualities and not the Disney not the Disney world qualities that's right. as being fluffy little creatures right. uh, that you can cuddle right. and sing sing a song to them. Yeah, and then there was at some point I think shortly after where you cut to the face of the bear that probably killed him. Yes. And it was impossible as a viewer not to project evil. That there, that because you had established that, you know, you can't, and you knew it. I knew it logically. You yeah. can't anthropomorphize. But when I did see that bear's face, my brain could not. It wrestled with it. I'm like, but that's but uh, do not forget my commentary. In all the faces of all bears that I encountered, I do not see any sympathy. I do not see any. Uh, um, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. There's only the monumental indifference. Maybe the only uh, interest is interest in food. Yeah, yeah. No affinity, no affection, right? right. No uh, hostility. Right. It's just monumental indifference. Yeah, and that's what you see in the face of the bear. I put it in the right context. You did. Yes. I want to talk about the PSA that you did. <laughs> Because that, that documentary is brutal, the texting and driving. Yes. I don't know how I, I like, that's a, I, I think that's a great little film. It is. Uh, I have no doubt and I can quantify it. Millions 
of people saw it on YouTube. Yes. And it's way too long for YouTube. YouTube yeah. is made for the 60 seconds cat videos, yes. crazy cats. Yeah. Or anything that's over eight minutes long is prohibitive. Yeah. And here millions and millions saw it. And it has triggered legislation in various states of the United States. And it uh, is being shown now on 40,000 high schools across the United States. And I think, I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think it has become a mandatory viewing for those kids who do that driving test, driver's, driver's driving's license in high school. And many, of course, do it like that. So that and, could be And your it has had a, an enormous, enormous effect. And people tell me you must have sa saved many, many lives. Instinctively, I know, yes, I did, but you cannot quantify it. You can quantify only events. You see, you can quantify accidents. You can quantify fatalities, but you cannot quantify events uh, that did not take place. Right. You but cannot quantify how many times did you miss the woman of your life because she left the plaza 60 seconds before you arrived. <laughs> so you cannot quantify it. Right. However, there's an indirect way to, to see the effect, and that's uh, the, the statistical curve mm -hmm. that has altered its direction, Do you, it, coinciding, coinciding with the release of this YouTube video. It's it's interesting because on some level, the way you talk about it, it could be one of the most important films you've ever made. It depends on what you call important. In well, practical terms, yes. Okay. In practical <laughs> effect, yes. Yeah. Do you ever think of your films in that way? That this no. Is no. No, but in this case, I knew it was there was a clear goal. Right. And let's uh, perform as good as I can. And I would do a public, how do you call it, service yeah, announcement. Yeah, public service announcement. Uh, but, but with all the intensity and all the craft that I can ma muster. You see, I, I do not li give uh, lectures or little charity. When I give, I give myself. Yes. And you know who said that? It was Walt Whitman who said that once. Yeah. And I have adopted it. What inspires you, and this will be the end of it, to um, to make a documentary. I mean, when you, how does it, how, like, you know, Grizzly Man or this Lo and Behold or or the, the one about the monks as well. I mean, what, what how do you find the topics? Where, where does it come? Very often they stumble into me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have never been like somebody who plans a career and after I'm finishing a film, I'm looking at the New York Times best-selling list yeah. of novels. Ah, yeah, that one I should make into a movie. It never has happened like this. Very often films have found me. Uh, many times they come as uninvited guests, like the burglars at night. <laughs> but um, <laughs> since I'm a storyteller, I would instantly, instantly know this is big. This is so big, I have to do it. Yeah. And it happened exactly like that with Grizzly Man, for example. Do you miss film? Like actual film? Celluloid. Now I'm not nostalgic. I, I still, I love it. Yeah. Of course I love it. Yeah. But um, digital filmmaking has allowed me to work faster. Yeah. 
and to work um, less expensively. Mm -hmm. So that's why all of a sudden I'm uh, coming out with four films, all of them ready for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for distribution. The system of distribution is too slow for my output. Right. What, what did you lose with celluloid? What do you lose? Um, well, the kind of magic of the flicker mm -hmm. of 24 frames in a theater. Yeah. And celluloid, you always have to understand it as a layer, a three-dimensional thin layer yeah. of emulsion mm -hmm. that stores your uh, information, mm -hmm. whereas a digital film is is only a file of zeros and ones. Right. And there's a strange, we, we sense that there's a different life to it. Right. And but and, and also I imagine that the an editing process yeah. is a bit more decisive. When you are in celluloid, you better uh, come to some conclusions quickly. And what I see today, digital editing, there are directors who don't know what they are doing, and they create twenty-two parallel versions and never can decide. Yeah. But I'm editing almost as fast as I'm thinking. Oh, well, oh so that because you can only do I do on not digital. have to search mm -hmm. for the small reel of film and. <laughs> And, right. and, and look for um, making some pen marks on it and glue it, splice it together and feed it into a system and roll it to the right moment. So I'm I'm editing much, much, much faster. Closer nowadays. to writing. Closer to writing in a way, yes. Now, just uh, in terms of film, I, I know that you were close with, with Roger Ebert and that, the, that what was once um, a, a fairly sort of uh, there, there are a few champions of, of the cultural and uh, artistic importance of film. Do you do you do are you, do you feel that it 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 still has the proper uh, place in the world of art? Do you feel that you know that film is still being reckoned with in the proper way culturally and critically? When he was afflicted by illness, yeah, and he could not speak anymore, he would use. Uh, the internet and the laptop for creating his voice. It was digitally reconfigured uh, uh -huh. and it was his voice that would answer to you. So the glory of the internet. At the same time, he said to me, Werner, watch out. There's something. I will die soon. You better be uh, vigilant and watch out and you have to be a guardian. Read. And I said, Roger, of course I read and I keep postulating, read, 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 but I mean books. And at the same time, um, he kept saying, kids, young kids, should go out and dig a hole in the ground. <laughs> Period. <laughs> and I find it beautiful. God bless his soul. <laughs> Roger beautiful. Ebert. That's a yeah. nice closer. Thank you, Werner. Thank you. Sweet ending. What a thrill and what a privilege to talk to Werner Herzog. That movie is, is really great. It, it, well, you know, if you're a fan of his, you know that his documentaries are always powerful and poetic and disturbing and beautiful. Lo and behold, reveries of the connected world in theaters and on demand this Friday, August 19th. Go to WTFPod.com for all that stuff. Okay. 
Fuck it. Boomer lives.